Hey everybody, just wanted to give you a quick intro before we get rolling on the podcast with Dwayne Lowry. We have a great conversation, so be sure to listen all the way to the end. We're going to hit really 10 important topics, and with the markets not being open on Monday, we thought Sunday and Monday would be a good chance for you to think of some of these things and kind of think about how you're managing your margins. So the 10 things are acreage, planting intentions is number one, number two, crop insurance price discovery, number three, South American weather, Number four, the Ukraine-Russian war. Number five, Chinese demand. Number six, inflation. Number seven, interest rates. Number eight, energy. Number nine, stock market. And number 10, managing your margins in this risky environment. So be sure to listen to the end of the podcast and hope you have a great week. Take care, everybody. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the AgView Pitch. We are heading into another marketing week, and we are having a four-day week, actually. And as a guest today, we have with us Dwayne Lowry. Dwayne, how's it going? Uh, Good, Chris. Glad to be here. Well, it's good to have you. I haven't talked to you for a long time, so we're going to have to catch up here for a couple minutes here at the beginning of this, maybe for a second. But uh, we're heading into the last few days of February, the 20th through the 24th, that means what, about seven more days of price discovery for crop insurance. Does that sound right? I think that sounds right. And uh, it's been a little disappointing in terms of the prices we're getting versus maybe where we could have been here, you know, several weeks ago or a few months ago, but still it's better than where it was uh, a couple of weeks ago as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting finish up here. Roughly, where are we at on the numbers as as the as we record this here now? The uh, average for the month to date on corn is just a little bit over five ninety five, and for beans, it's thirteen seventy six and a quarter. Okay, yeah, because last year, I mean, we were a little ahead of corn. Last year, we were in that. 1433 range if I remember correctly and and um, for some reason the soybeans just seem to not want to buy acres when we look at the numbers between corn and soybeans in terms of profitability it seems like corn wins out about 90 percent of the time with most of the farmers that we we run the numbers on and kind of look at profitability from one crop to the next um any thoughts on what's kind of why the soybean, you know, corn soybean ratio, I guess I'll put it that way is kind of the way it is. Is there just any thoughts on that? Well, I don't have a good explanation. It's not where I thought that we would be. Uh, you know, if you'd asked me this two or three months ago, I would have said that somewhere along the line, by the time we got into this spring period, the marketplace would have found a way to try to encourage more bean acres and or to encourage a few less corn acres, depending on how you want to look at it, because uh, um, the way it is now and the way it seems from you know the heart of the Midwest, we're going to have more corn acres um, and less bean acres. And uh, if you go look at the balance sheets, um, I'm not sure that's what the marketplace should be sending for a signal, but yet that is what it's sending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. So speaking of acres, um, talk a little bit about what what you think the mix is going to be or kind of what what are you looking at with regard to acres, you know, corn, soybeans, wheat, other crops, any 
any uh, news, things that we should be paying attention to as, a, as we head towards spring? Well, I don't know what the acres are going to be, and I'm not uh, typically one that tries to anticipate what that's going to be looking at a number crunchers, but I can tell you that the marketplace in general uh, seems to feel comfortable thinking corn acres could be a couple million acres higher than last year. A few people think it could be more than that. Um, and then, you know, you, some people want to lower the bean acres. Um, other people want to increase bean acres and reduce cotton acres. So there's more than one just corn and bean matrix that's being discussed by the marketplace. I don't know where it comes into play, but if you look at, uh, uh, you know, you add uh, a couple million acres to corn and now all of a sudden you've got production that's probably going to be, you know, closer to um, 14 and a half billion probably. And total use this year was 13.9, which would mean about a 600 million carryout increase if you did added a couple million acres and you got trend line yields and you left usage the same. But in that statement, there's an awful lot of variables. Number one, what's the trend line yield versus, you know, trend line yield expectation versus what's it actually going to be. The total usage number in corn, if you say it's the same as last year at 13.9, that's a billion bushels less than it was the previous year and about 900 million less than it was two years ago. So do you think that the usage this next year will be similar to this year or something more like you've had in the previous year or two years ago? The difference largely is in exports. And um, I would say that most do not believe exports are going to, from the U.S., are going to go back to levels it was last year or two years ago. If that's the case and you're dealing with usage closer to 14, you know, um, you really can't add too many acres to corn without creating a completely different supply and demand scenario, ending stock scenario than we've had for the last couple of years, which would imply that, um, somewhere down the road, we might see prices well below where they're at. In the case of beans, you go through the same type of, you know, mental exercise. Um, it would seem to imply that you need more acres. If you had acres as, the same as last year and you put in, you know, a 51 and a half yield, you're talking about about 4.5 billion bushels worth of production. Total use this year was 4.355. The previous year, 4.465. And two years ago, it was 4.2. So um, you can't afford to lose many acres without putting the challenge on your ending stocks. And there are some people that say that exports this year at one point, well, it's just under 2 billion which is down almost a couple hundred million from the previous year. Uh, some people think that those, that export figure will go up again the next year. Um, I don't know. I don't have too strong of an opinion about that. But the bottom line is when you look at acreage, beans seem more precarious to me than does corn. But yet the marketplace hasn't really been acting that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost... Yeah, you know, I've almost kind of been wondering, like in, in our own operation, and we see this with quite a few clients planting a little bit more corn, but it almost feels like we need to be a little more aggressive. And this isn't a recommendation or anything, just some, a little perspective, but it almost feels like we need to be a little more aggressive pricing 
corn and a little more patient on the soybean side for some of the reasons you just described, you know, and I guess that leads me to another question, you know, the, a lot of the geopolitical experts and stuff are really thinking about what's going to potentially come in the spring with the Ukraine, Russian Ukraine war and what that might mean and how Russia may go after a lot of the, um, you know, the agricultural stuff and really mess up that part of the world. Is there any thoughts on that? I mean, if, if we see some issues in that part of the world and possibly we see some additional issues in South America, does all that, you know, yield some positive price opportunities for us or what's, what, what things are you watching there from a, from a world perspective? Well, I think Ukraine, Russia, there's certainly uncertainty there. I think that uh, I happen to be of the belief that uh, uh, Ukraine is losing this war. And I think that uh, um, the recent, very recent, just a matter of days, comments that have come from U.S. officials uh, and even um, some European officials it seems to me like they're preparing for the spin masters to change the tone a little bit and um, maybe lower expectations. Um, they're talking about Ukraine not having enough ammunition. They're talking about uh, difficulty from uh, getting that ammunition from NATO stocks or U.S. stocks. And this is coming from, uh, you know, U.S. officials and uh, uh, NATO officials. Um, that sounds to me like they're preparing to uh, say that, you know, we've done all we can do. And and if Ukraine loses, it's their fault. It's not our fault. And that, you know, maybe I'm a little cynical in that pr perspective, but that's what it looks like to me. And I think that there's uh, a chance that there is a Russian offensive that takes place soon. Um, I've seen headlines from, you know, CNBC in the last few days that says, the offensive has begun, and that may very well be true. I probably tend to believe it is true. The question is, what does that offensive look like, and how does the marketplace react to the idea that Ukraine is not doing well and the outcome may not come as, as the West would like it to be? In that process, uh, well, let's separate that. Initially, if there is a scene as an escalation and an offensive, um, the marketplace in the grains probably takes that um, as a bullish input and and rises from that. Now, at the other end of the spectrum is an idea that at some point this uh, conflict comes to an end and there's some sort of diplomatic solution, whether it's agreed upon or forced upon, and that would end up being bearish to the grain market. So there's a transition period that might be a lot less than what we think in terms of how long it takes the marketplace to look for at one uh, perspective and then another. I think it's also important to remember that last year in, in the terms of Ukraine, Russia, the biggest market influence was wheat. It was dramatic early, but it also didn't last very long. And the marketplace trended lower for much of last year, which was contrary to market expectations and market sentiment. And and uh, so I think that any Ukraine-Russia push-up in prices that occurs, we probably should expect it to be short-lived. I think there's also a chance that at the, because of the time frame this is occurring, you know, we're going to be focusing some attention on 
U.S. weather, and uh, we could range that from being too dry in the west in the plains, the western parts of what the western Midwest. We could talk about it being too wet in parts of the east. We're going to start to look at what the temperature and planting condition themes are at. So that opens up a lot of variability. And I'm not sure we're done talking about South American production and weather, um, mostly uh, finalizing production numbers. And there's a good chance that when we get the the uh, March uh, USDA supply and demand report, we're probably going to get further reductions in South American production, including South uh, Brazil beans. And uh, that opens up a door for that to be a supportive undercurrent. So I think there's a chance that uh, the markets um, at the moment were, you know, right at this moment, as of Friday's settlement, we've probably seen the weakest uh, near-term values that we're going to see and whatever weakness we had over the last several days, um, maybe that's enough. So I think there's a chance that some of these other issues I just mentioned are going to provide some support, uh, some uh, bubbling of price action, maybe adding some what-if premium back into, into market prices. Um, and then, uh, so I think we have a window where there's some opportunity for the markets to get a little bit better. And as far as how much of a bump we get uh, and how quick it occurs, you know, all these factors are going to weigh in on that. But I think from a time frame, it's not unreasonable to expect that we can be, have firmness into this March uh, USDA report. That gives us roughly three weeks where the market may be supported. And if any of these other factors come in to add a little emotion to it, you know, that certainly can add to it. I would also say that um, even though the marketplace has been relatively firm over the last couple of months, since the last time I'd have done a podcast with you, probably, um, there's been a lot of bearish sentiment and a lot of anticipation of bad things happening to the grain market, all of which may very well be warranted but maybe the timing is not quite right. So I think there's a chance for some short covering activity here as well. And, you know, just this last week, I think it was uh, beans got back to the highest levels they were since June of 2022. And, you know, some of these contracts were near contract highs. In the cases of corn, we got back to, you know, the upper side of our price parameters that we've seen for old crop corn uh, over the last few months. But largely, we've been in a, in a very small trading range in corn for at least the last two months. But we're perched near the upper part of that. So it doesn't take much additional strength to, to make the charts look impressive and get the market to buy into it. I'm not, I'm not sure that such a rally would be sustained, but I think it could occur. But if you look at the new crop markets, you know they've been on the softer side in the case of uh, corn, and you're sitting at the bottom side of the parameters in DS23 corn that you've been in basically since, you know, August, September. So um, the marketplace in the case of the corn has probably absorbed some of this talk about increased acreage expectations. So it seems like there's a chance for some recovery there. You know, we're at 595, give or take, DS23 corn. For that to get back to 625 is not an unreasonable statement. To get to get back to 650 seems more uh, difficult. And I would say that in all of these factors, if we get a rally over the next 
30 or 45 days, um, I think there's a reasonable chance because of many other factors, um, we're going to see the some of the best pricing opportunities for 2023 occur in the near future as opposed to occurring uh, during the summer or late summer season. I'm much more concerned about downside risk when you look at the big picture. Mm -hmm. I think from a conservative approach, that's a, a good mindset to have probably too, just to make sure that we're managing risk because we're putting in the most, I mean, Shay said that Shay and I have said this a thousand times if we've said it once, but you know, and, and everybody knows this, but we're putting in the most expensive crop we've ever put in. And we've also probably um, have the, some of the highest risk we've ever had. With that said, just a couple of more quick questions here before we wrap up on us, China relations, obviously that's been um, a little bit of a, pressure point here the last few weeks and you know do you see anything on that front that's of concern I mean it seems like if the price is right China's a hungry country they got to have food everything they do is pretty much all imported um, do you see anything there as a watch out or any changes or what's your thought there at the present time China has to have uh, U.S. origin supplies they can't completely get away from us I think the key here is that they are constantly looking for ways to influence production, transportation, and business connections in South America. And I think that they are trying uh, very, very hard to very, very rapidly uh, diminish the uh, necessity to have U.S. origin. I'm not sure that ever goes away, but I think they're significantly trying to diminish their reliance on U.S., and I think these factors um, are troubling, and I think it's a sign that the U.S. is going to give up market share when it comes to China's demand to uh, South America. And I think that the whole renewable diesel program that's underway in the U.S. and the, the expansion of crush capacity here is a clear indication that the major players see a similar situation where we're going to lose uh, market share because I don't think, I, I think it's very difficult to find a big increase in the corn soybean acre combination in the U S we just don't have the ability to expand that production uh, at least at the present time. And the only way that could possibly change is if somehow there was the miracle seed developments and seed genetics developments that allowed these crops to be grown successfully in, in some other regions. But um, assuming that corn and bean acreage in the U.S. is relatively stagnant and can't get a lot larger, um, this whole renewable diesel, the production capacity that they're going to have, um, it seems like the offset is going to be reduced um, exports. And I think China is certainly moving in a direction there to distance itself from the U.S., China is part of other countries uh, that are attempting to to minimize the global dependency on the U.S. dollar and and ultimately trying to uh, remove the U.S. dollar as the sole reserve currency of the of the world. And I think that's another example of them trying to distance themselves from the U.S. And I think you have constantly have other factors that come up where there's extreme tension, whether it's trade issues. Um, or uh, patent, you know, infringement, or new developments like with the Ukraine-Russia war, and, and 
China clearly taking Russia's side on this, which creates friction. Um, I don't know what it takes to improve U.S. relations with China, but it seems to me that we're uh, on a pathway where they're going to continue to diminish. And um, more importantly, I think, is the fact that China is, is working very aggressively to um, solidify relationships with Brazil, Argentina, trying to get more production there, trying to get their hand in the transportation to provide funding, expertise, uh, whatever it takes for relationships there. All of that stuff looks like it's long-term, not supportive for U.S. market share. Mm -hmm. Kind of the last thing I want to hit on, we'll wrap it up, is, you know, we've hit on a bunch of stuff here, but um, I had a bank meeting yesterday, um, kind of did our, uh, Shay did a podcast on the state of the business address, and we did our state of the farm address yesterday with our lender and stuff and got some interesting perspective from them. But, you know, you know, one one said, you know, we're going to see three more rate hikes. The other one's like, I'm not sure. And the one thing that is for sure is interest rates are significantly higher now than they were a year ago. Uh, we see a lot of line of credit levels in that, you know, high sixes to to nine and and there's a big range in there of course but do you see in these interest rates continuing to climb a little bit what's your perspective there and it seems like you know from what we see inflation's slowed down a little bit but it's definitely not stopped and so what's your perspective as we wrap up here on inflation and interest rates in the fed um, inflation, uh, or excuse me, interest rates probably climb a little bit, and I would focus on the phrase a little bit, um, and then I think they probably level off. And um, um, so I don't think interest rates get significantly worse, uh, but they're going to probably get a little bit higher. I think the Fed is having success fighting inflation, and when we get reports out that say that, well, we still have inflation, it's higher than we thought, or et cetera, um, I think there's a lag time between uh, when this interest impact kicks in and has the the longer term effect on some of these indicators. And so I think the Fed will reach a point very soon where they're going to be content to kind of wait and see how things unfold. And I think that then you'll start to see some uh, correction in these in the in the inflation rate. But when it comes to the ag market perspective, um, I think we have to ask ourselves, um, might we be uh, at new plateaus for prices where we have found a new range, just like we did in the 70s and we've seen happen before, like we had when the uh, ethanol became a bigger thing after George uh, Bush's uh, State of the Union. It was 2005, give or take, where we uh, really ramped up the consumption of corn through ethanol and kind of change the whole price structure of, of all the commodities. I wonder if we don't have a similar effect that's taking place now. And just to throw out some wide figures, you know, for a long time, $30 crude oil was kind of the bottom side of the parameters. What if the bottom side of the parameters, if we were to go forward 10 years and look back on what things look like over that 10 year period, I wonder if we're going to find that the, a 65 or 60 to $80 range in crude oil doesn't become the bottom side of energy prices. If that statement happened to be true, when you looked back 10 years from now on how the previous 10 years looked, and if that statement happened to be true, 
that represents a new price structure for um, agricultural markets, probably a new price structure for everything. And so um, I think that we have to ponder whether that's going to be the case. I think there's a strong argument that case can be made because in uh, over the last several months, if not more than a year, there's been widespread anticipation of a recession, uh, possibly turning into a depression because of inflation, interest rates, et cetera. And um, that may well prove to be true, but so far you can't really say it is true. The job market still is tight. You can open up any newspaper, walk, uh, you can drive down the road, you can walk down the sidewalk, and see job openings, job available, we're now hiring. The job market doesn't reflect this recession, depression talk. And the stock market has, at different points, responded to that, had a sell-off, and we're still well off the highs in the stock market, but we haven't really crashed. We've been kind of been marking time up here. Now, some sort of a major sell-off might still be ahead of us, but all of this seems to me like we're going to get used to a higher-priced structure than we've had because of the inflation that we've seen. And the cynical side of me wants to point out something that I would have said two years ago, three years ago, anytime, that in the end, the only way the U.S. government, the, the Federal Reserve, the, the, the uh, balance sheet, the global, all these countries' balance sheets ever survive with the amount of debt that they have is they have to inflate their way out of this. And maybe that is not a rampant inflation, but maybe it's just like I've described. We take things to a new price level. We have wages higher, therefore income is higher, but this debt they have is fixed. And uh, that's how they, that's their only way out of this. So I think in the end, we're going to see the, the higher price structures develop over time. And I think we are in the process of having experienced one of those right now. And we are going to, over the next 12 months, maybe find out what is the new bottom side of these this new price level. And um, if I were to look into the crystal ball and say that you know 450 to 480 corn is going to be the new bottom side, that's going to be the new, I don't know, 320 to 350 price range. Um, and maybe beans, the new bottom side is going to be something in that $10 mark instead of being something in a $7 mark. And I think that's what we're dealing with. And uh, on the big picture, when you start talking about the Fed inflation, you know, we're trying to figure out how that impacts us. I don't think we're going to go back to $3 corn or anything like that. I, I think it's going to be a new price level that we're, we're finding. And um, if we have favorable acres in the U.S. And if we have returned to some trend line production without the type of, you know, large footprint of of uh, production problems that we saw the last two years, we are, we're probably at risk of getting some big corn yield that's well above the trend. I don't even know what the official trend line will be this year, but say it's 178, give or take. And some people might say it could be higher than that. Let's say we threw out 181 yield in corn on a given year. What if we got bean yields back to to up to say 53 or 54? Um, I don't think either of those statements are impossible. They're very plausible. And considering the large geographic footprint of problems we've had each of the past two years, our yields have been actually 
much better than people would have anticipated with the same weather, say 10 or more years ago. So um, I think it's possible that we could get a sizable increase in ending stocks in both corn and beans and have a period of time where we're going to test out what is this new bottom threshold. And if I said it was $4.50 to $5 corn, it was $10 or $11 soybeans, um, that might sound like that's a pretty good bottom side. But like you said, look at the cost structure you've had for the 2023 crop. And nobody's going to want to uh, get to the bottom side of these price parameters that I just mentioned, which are still well above uh, uh, lows in the bottom recent 10 years. It would still be well above those levels, but it would be a disaster to your farm operation if you sold your crops in those levels. And uh, I think that's kind of what the producer has to try to analyze and ponder is with these high of inputs that I've got, which are fixed, they're not going to go any lower. Um, do I really want to take a lot of risk? Um, and that's what we have with these prices. They represent a lot of risk. Mm -hmm. And even if we go down to find those uh, bottom side levels are still well above where we've been it re represents at least $200 an acre of revenue decline in corn from where it's at now. It represents probably $150 to $200 an acre decline versus what's being offered now for beans. And uh, that we have to be reminded that the price swings of our revenue calculations are so much greater at these prices than they were in all the prices we found from 2014 to 2020, basically. Right. You know, then if you had a $50 swing in your revenue calculations, it might be you know quite a bit. Now you're dealing with something that could easily be 200. And that's why the uh, management decision, the risk management decision, I think needs to be uh, viewed differently. It needs to have greater respect and it probably needs to be more skewed towards protecting what is offered than worrying about what might you might miss out on. Yeah, I think that's good advice. I mean, as we wrap up here, you know, the the average ish right right now, the average that we see is that 519 cost production on corn with with the five year expected average yield for our clients currently, and we're at about 13 bucks on cost production for soybeans. So that means that, you know, and for the most part, about a 80, 75 to 80 cent drop on both corn and soybeans gets us back to break even. So the market doesn't have to come back off, off of where it is right now very much. And all of a sudden you're right back at break even. It's just interesting how the market always finds its way back to our cost of production at some point. So it's. And, you know, the other thing is if the market wants to find its way back to a different level, a, a level that is weighing on inflationary pressures, um, it oftentimes, and I'm sure you'll agree to this, that doesn't stop at the cost of production. It will no. exaggerate and get below right. your cost of production. And that's what we have to be concerned about. Right. So there's there's uh, plenty of things for producers to ponder. Yep, that's for sure. There's a lot to manage and, and yet a lot of really good stuff in this conversation. So hopefully people made it all the way to the end here because you covered a lot of stuff. I mean, we covered acreage, we covered South America, we covered Ukraine, Russian war, U.S., China, 
relations or or not i guess whatever you want to call that that we're working on now with balloons and crazy stuff and then uh inflation interest rates the fed and and uh just managing our margins which is the the bottom line so Dwayne, um as usual we haven't had you on for a while we can get you back here a little more often really appreciate your expertise and your your knowledge and uh hope you have a good week well, I, I, usually you ask me, uh, do you have one final thought? So uh, please ask me, me that ask question. That? I, I said, usually, you usually <laughs> ask me if I have one final thought. So I need you to ask me that question. Okay, what's, what's your one final thought? I would, want, I would like to uh, have producers ponder the possibility uh, that we have opportunities for a near-term price bump. I won't say a big, huge rally. I don't want to imply that, but just a price bump. And that bump could maybe take Deese 23 corn back to 620, 625, something like that. It might be able to take November beans, you know, up 50 cents from where they are right now, maybe more. I'm not sure how the spreads play out, but there's still a potential for an acreage discussion here. Um, and I, I would like to encourage producers to ponder the possibility that if we get a near-term bump, the focus should be not, excuse me, the focus should not be that if we get these bumps, then imagine what we'll get if there's a summer weather concern. I think the near-term bump should be seen as an opportunity to protect against some of the things we just talked about and not to get too caught up in it. The market has still got a lot of uh, large spec longs in it that are very vulnerable to at, at some point being forced out of those positions. Um, but that might be something that happens during the summer and uh, as we finish the growing season. Um, but I would like to encourage producers to really reflect upon the amount of risk they have, the fixed input costs, the profit opportunities offered. And if we get a near-term bump to see that as a great opportunity to be proactive in trying to remove some risk here, there's going to come a point Sometime, maybe it's the 23 production, maybe it's 24, maybe it's both, where profitability uh, will be much more challenging than what is we've seen in the last few years and yeah. what's offered in 23. Yeah. And so if you can capture and make sure 23 is another good year, it really sets you up to be much better prepared uh, for uh, a more challenging year to find a profit that might lie ahead. And We've all been around agriculture long enough to know that it is cyclical and no matter how good it may appear at a, at a given time, you're only one crop cycle away from changing the dynamics and all of a sudden you're experiencing something different and something more challenging and agriculture is just known to have those and I don't think there's any reason we should think that we're not going to be vulnerable to the same again. Yeah. And just because what happened last year doesn't mean that's how you should calibrate how you're going to market in the, in the next year. Every year's every year's got its own set of challenges and and issues and conditions, and we have to weigh all those and make those decisions in the the year we're in, not not what happened in the past or or uh, you know. You got to respect what is offered. You know, every year it's a battle, and uh, every year there are entities that are are out to get you. And when uh, you're in agriculture and you've got profitability and you know quite good profitable uh, return opportunities per acre versus you know 
many of the the last 20 years, then you have to feel like you, you've got a target on your back. And the Fed, if they're going to fight inflation, the, the two places they have to do it are energy and, and, and agriculture. And energy is well off of its highs. It's probably stabilized. We've probably seen the bottom side of where it's going to be. Uh, the, the biggest elephant in the room, so to speak, to, to fight inflation that really hasn't come under severe attack yet is agriculture. And I think that we should expect that we're going to be under attack. And I think the turn. first opportunity we have where the market conditions, the weather, the acres, whatever, uh, create a rising carryout, I think the marketplace is going to um, take an abrupt and, and uh, fairly deep reaction to that. Mm-hmm. And 2023, if you, you know, we, the slate's clean, we're starting over and uh, trend line yields a few more acres here or there. And all of a sudden, you know, um, it's not difficult to come up with that scenario where carryout levels rise. Yeah. Awesome, Dwayne. Like I said, really good, good comments. I appreciate the, the last, last uh, opportunity there for your final thoughts. And um, again, as usual, really good info. So we'll get you back and we'll kind of check things out here. And again, we'll see how this uh, crop insurance thing shakes out and and we'll continue from there. But really appreciate your content. And thanks a lot, Dwayne. Thank you, Chris. You bet. And thanks everybody for listening. And we will be back again next week in another normal week as we head into the month of March next week and we'll catch you next time on the AgView Pitch.